Now we tell the story uh, from the uh, scriptural record from the Gospel of John that we were conveying to the children. And this comes from John chapter 18, beginning in verse 15. Simon Peter and another disciple followed Jesus. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter was standing outside the gate. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out, spoke to the women who guarded the gate, and brought Peter in. A woman said to Peter, You are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? And Peter said, I am not. Now the slaves and the police had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing around it and warming themselves. Verse 25. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. They asked him, You are not also one of his disciples, are you? And he denied it and said, I am not. One of the slaves of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, the cock crowed. Our second lesson is much more positive because it's Jesus responding to Peter. I invite you to stand as we read this second gospel text from John chapter 21, beginning in verse 15. Now, this is the setting that took place after the resurrection while the guys had gone out fishing. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord. I know you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Well, Peter felt hurt because he said to him a third time, do you love me? So he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belts around your waist and go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. And after this, he said to Peter, follow me. I hope you're listening because this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Yeah, you better take that with you, Gary, or I might take it. <laughs> Friends, would you pray with me? 
Gracious God, may these words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts gathered here and online be acceptable in your sight, that we would hear you speaking to us. For you, O God, are our rock, you are our strength, you are our redeemer. Amen. Well, it is good to be with you again to continue our post-Easter sermon series. If you were here last week, uh, you heard about how uh, worship is a place where we come and remember, for we are often a forgetful people. And so we come week after week to hear the story once more, to hear the good news of God's grace offered to us, and then we're sent out with that memory to serve the world. And next week, like Pastor Gary said, he'll be doing a dialogue sermon with Nicole Saylor on how worship renews us. And so we have remember, renew, and today, right in the middle, we're going to be talking about how worship reconciles us as we seek to rediscover resurrection in this ancient practice. So it's good to be with you again today. Good to see so many of you. And when we think about reconciliation, uh, if there was anyone who maybe needed that gift of reconciliation, I think it might have been the Apostle Peter. Now, one of the things that I love about reading about the disciples in the Gospels is that I am reminded time and time again that the disciples were not perfect people, that they were human, (laughs) just like you and me. And they struggle to get it right. They struggle just like you and me to remember the good news. They struggle to remain faithful to their master, their Lord, their friend. And Peter is no exception. For in the moment of Jesus' greatest vulnerability, when we come to this story in chapter 18 and Jesus is on trial with the high priest and the Sanhedrin, Peter is looking onwards, not far away. And he's warming himself by that charcoal fire. He can see what's going on. And what does he do? He denies Christ not once, not twice, but three times. And it's worth remembering that just a few chapters ago, when Jesus is sharing in the Last Supper with his disciples, Jesus tells Peter, you're going to deny me. And Peter says... Surely not I, Lord. Surely not I. I would follow you to the death. Now, some of these other folks, like Judas Iscariot, he might betray you, but never I. And yet, just a few chapters later, we see that he can be forgetful too. For not once, not twice, but three times, he denies his master, his friend, and his Lord. Now, it would be very easy for us to point the finger at Peter. It would be very easy for us to lift him up as an example about what not to do. And I'm sure there's been many sermons preached throughout Christian history that go a little something like this. Don't be Peter. And when you come to your moment of trial, when you're asked if you follow Christ, don't do what Peter did, but stand firm, have faith, Don't deny Christ. But that's not exactly where we're going to go today because I actually think the main point of this text is telling us something different. Because I don't think Peter actually is an example of what not to do. 
I think Peter is a mirror through which we ought to see ourselves. A mirror through which we see ourselves reflected back at us. For who among us, who in this room, has not at some point denied or betrayed Christ? Who among us has not stayed true to our commitment to Christ in the face of competing values, competing schedules, competing things that ask for our allegiance? Who among us has not denied our responsibility to be faithful stewards of the creation that God has given to us, all the while enjoying the modern conveniences of 21st century living, those things that are simultaneously destroying our planet? Who among us has not been silent when we witness and hear about yet again, twice just this week, about black and brown bodies who have been killed unjustly? Who among us has failed to speak up in the wake of yet another mass shooting, this time in Indianapolis, because we're fatigued or apathetic? Who among us at one time has not denied a sister or a brother or a sibling of the human family who just wants to come and be a part of the family of God? Who among us has not cowered like Peter in the shadows of a charcoal fire and abdicated our responsibility to speak the truth when truth needs to be spoken, to stand up for the lowly and the oppressed, to take the courageous stand? Who among us has not betrayed and denied Christ. Friends, we all stand in the position of Peter. I know I do. We all stand as the one who has remained silent in the face of the suffering Christ in our midst. We all stand right beside Peter as those who need reconciliation and forgiveness. And so it's good news that the, the, the story does not end in chapter 18. But as Pastor Gary shared with us, Peter's story continues in chapter 21 where he encounters the risen Christ. Now all of the disciples at this point, they had gone back to their fishing boats, back to their careers that they had uh, done before they met Jesus all the way back at the beginning of the gospel, and they're not having a lot of luck. They're not catching a lot of fish. And so when some man shows up on the beach and says, hey, you ought to put your net on the other side, they go ahead and do it. And as they're pulling up the net out of the water, hardly able to carry all of the fish, Peter recognizes the man on the beach is not just a man. It is his master, his friend, his teacher. And so the gospel tells us that Peter actually jumps into the water and swims to the beach to meet Christ as quickly as possible. He's eager to see Jesus once again. And Jesus invites Peter and all of the disciples to gather around yet another charcoal fire to share in a bit of breakfast. And it's around this meal that Jesus engages Peter in conversation. It's around this fire where Peter encounters the mercy and forgiveness of the risen Christ. And in this conversation, like Cynthia pointed out to the children, Jesus asks Peter, not once, not twice, but three times, Peter, do you love me? 
And Peter answers, not once, not twice, but three times, Lord, you know that I love you. And with every question and every answer, one of Peter's betrayals are undone. He's restored to relationship. He's restored to discipleship. But not only that, he's commissioned for ministry. For Jesus doesn't just say, Peter, do you love me? He says, Peter, feed my sheep. Peter, take care of my lambs. Peter, follow me. And of course, the apostle Peter would go on to be one of the great apostles of the early church, spreading the good news of God's grace near and far. He would even go on to be the first pope of the Roman Catholic Church, this man who betrayed Christ not once, not twice, but three times encounters the forgiveness and reconciliation of Christ and is restored, that he could be invited back into relationship to experience the possibility that happens when we meet the grace of Christ. He didn't deserve it, but Christ never gave up on him. Now, we may not have the benefit of being able to talk to the physical resurrected Christ around a charcoal fire and a, bit of, and a bit of breakfast. But we do gather every week to worship. And I think what happened to Peter is the exact same thing that happens to us every time we gather in this room to worship God. It's kind of a conversation. Not a conversation like Peter and Jesus had, but we do have a conversation of sorts with God, I think, when we come to this place on Sunday mornings. We, when we begin our time together, we do things like the call to worship, and we sing songs. We lift up our voices together to remember how good it is to be gathered in this place to remember how good God is. And as we lift up our voices, we begin a conversation. And we say these words together. And then as we move on through the service, through the children's moment and the reading of Scripture and through the word preached, we actually hear God speak back to us. Now, if you've ever had an experience where you felt like a sermon was speaking directly to you, like it was just uh, touching your heart at a very deep level, I can promise you that's not because Gary and I are clever people. It's because God is speaking to you. God is talking back. God is engaging you in conversation, just like Jesus engaged Peter in conversation around that charcoal fire on the beach that morning. So we gather, we lift our praises to God, God speaks back to us, and then after God speaks, we respond. We sing more songs, we lift up our prayers, we commit ourselves in so many ways to doing something with what God has just spoken to us. And then lastly, as we go from this place, we're sent out with a benediction where God speaks one more time and sends us out with the charge to keep and the memory to hold that God goes with us. See, worship is just like a conversation where we speak 
And God speaks back. And if we're listening, we can hear what God is saying. And we come to this conversation, and we're many times deeply aware of the ways in which we, like Peter, have denied and betrayed Christ, where we have failed to love God and love our neighbor, but through the conversation of worship, we experience the reconciliation, the restoration, the mercy of Christ that Peter received on that beach. It becomes for us, too. Now, what? some point, you might want to ask the question, why do I need worship to experience forgiveness? Why do I need to come here, sit in these pews, be in this church to experience the grace of Jesus? Don't I have an individual relationship with Christ where I can experience reconciliation and mercy apart from the gathering of people in worship? And to an extent, I would say, yes, there is an individual aspect of that forgiveness for Jesus does say Peter, do you love me? But we'd be wise to not forget the second part of that encounter where Jesus not only says, Peter, do you love me? But he says, feed my sheep. Tend for my lambs. Follow me. See, for the gospel writer and for Jesus, there is no separation of love for God and love for neighbor. They go part and parcel. And even though we do have individual relationships with God in a lot of ways, there is no individualistic notion of following Christ. There is no uh, separation between love of God and love of neighbor. And so this is why we come to worship together. Not just to warm our hearts with an individual sense of pardon that would make us feel better about ourselves but to encounter the risen Christ in conversation together. To hear what God is speaking to us and to respond and to be sent. To do like Peter and to follow Christ. Maybe to places where we would not otherwise go. To hear the invitation to come and receive the reconciliation of Christ So friends, I ask you as as we close today, what is God speaking to you in this place? What might be God speaking to us as a community here at Aldersgate United Methodist Church? Are we listening for the voice of Christ who wants to engage us in conversation, who, who might be asking us, do you love me? Or who might be saying, will you trust me even in the face of trials? Are we listening for the voice of Christ who might be saying, come and experience once again forgiveness. Come and rediscover that our betrayals will not endure as barriers, for the love of Christ is always greater. This is good news for you and for me and for the Apostle Peter. So let us come and listen and respond to what God is saying. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.